This is the spirit of leading. Where we delve into the heart and soul of everyday leadership. Because a better world begins with each and every one of us making leadership real to our family, our workplace, and our community. The world needs you to be empowered to lead, someone who can and will make a difference. So let's get started. No matter how successful you might be as a manager or an executive, you can always use a little bit of coaching and be a little bit better. And that's where Donna Miller comes in. I'm Garland McWaters, and I want to welcome you to the Spirit of Leading. Donna Miller coaches executives and leaders one-on-one in all types of organizations to help them improve their leadership skills and leadership abilities. And for a few minutes, we're going to peek behind that door. We're going to look inside those coaching chambers to find out what goes on whenever a coach talks to an executive about building their own executive skills. I've always been curious about that. So Donna, thanks for sharing a bit of your time and your world with me today. My pleasure. Let's uh, talk a little bit about uh, how things get started. How do you get an opportunity to work with someone as an executive or as an up-and-comer? In general, just for reference, I don't know whether people have my background, but I'm a 30-year HR executive. I've been the VP a couple of times. Um, So that has been the door for me. When I'm working with organizations, generally it is through the human resources function and their heads of leadership development. So what happens in many companies is there's something called a succession plan where they take a look at the talent inside their organization. They try to determine what roles they may need in the future. They do an assessment of the gap between where folks need to be and where they currently are. And they'll bring in a person like me to help do the development so that they can prepare young leaders for future positions. So it's a little bit more scientific in the way they approach that then. It's not like an executive sitting around and says, boy, I could really use some help today. Right. And yeah, they, generally it doesn't go that way, although sometimes it does. Sometimes it does, but yeah. not usually. Right. So the, uh, and it's interesting that there's sort of a really thought out process that someone is looking down the road to see what kind of talent's going to be needed for the future and then how do we develop that talent. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like uh, you get in kind of on the ground floor of that. Right, right. So they bring in people like me. Again, um, a big piece of the process is identifying what capabilities you need to have in the future. And again, back to this gap process. Often in the beginning of an executive coaching assignment, we do some personality assessments. So we try to really get a handle on who the person is, how they think, how they may be interacting with others. We also do something called a 360, which is um, a review of the executive from all of the perspectives around them. So from their bosses, their subordinates, and their peers. Uh, once we get all of that information, we have a really good picture of the person, both in it, what's going on internally to them and also how they're coming across to others. Um, I'll generally work with their executive, the boss, their boss, the supervisor, and often, although not always, the HR leader involved, and we identify what are the developmental priorities for this individual. And it, it differs by person. And then we create a development plan, normally lasts between six and nine months, and we're identifying, all right, if these are the capabilities we're trying to develop in a leader, how exactly are we going to work on that development throughout that six or nine month period? And, and one of the key learnings that I've had recently is that in addition to kind of dealing with things, if they're going off the rails on anything, it is more about focusing on strengths and how to capitalize on strengths than it is about mitigating weaknesses. Sure. I've heard that quite a bit recently. In fact, in a lot of the literature that's out 
been out for some time now, they really talk about the strength, look at the strengths, because you can't take someone who's really doesn't have a, the baseline skills for something and then make them an expert at it. Right. Uh, so in, in deciding what that's, those skill, skills are going to be, what we're shooting for, how does the company do that? Often organizations will develop something called competencies mm -hmm. and they'll say to be a manager you need these competencies, to be a director you need these, to be a VP you need these, a senior executive something else. Those build on each other mm -hmm. and inside a process often what they'll do is evaluate leaders on those competencies and generally this occurs at various levels in the organization so it'll start with the managers and then move up towards the directors right. move up towards the VPs and what they're looking at is people and their, their performance but also their potential mm -hmm. in terms of where they may be able to go. And they use it, these internal competencies to identify what the gap is. So in addition to the 360 and the personality instrument, we're also taking into account, okay, what are the competencies this organization is looking for and where are the gaps with those from a development standpoint? So if I, for example, if I were one of those executives they might be looking at, I'm a new up and comer mm -hmm. and it might show that I'm pretty good in my technical area. I understand really the technical aspects of my job. Uh, I'm pretty c competent at goal setting and things of that nature. Uh, but I don't have a lot of real strategic ability. I don't really see big pictures very well. How would they work with me on that? If, if, if you got me, what would we do? First of all, the most important transition that I see executives have to go through in their career, this is everybody is they've got to go from finding their value add and their self-esteem coming from what they personally do, what they personally accomplish, which is what a technical leader does, execution operations, being really great at that and getting lots of recognition for that, to it's now about enabling other people to do. And they've got to find their value in enabling others mm -hmm. rather than them personally doing it. And that is a huge transformation that everybody has to go through to be a senior leader, in my opinion. Um, so. A lot of what I do is I work with leaders to, like I'll have them read um, things about strategic thinking. I'll have them watch TED Talks, and then we then talk about the difference. Um, an awful lot of time is, my, is spent working with people on their paradigms and how they're seeing things. So we react emotionally every time to our own stories about the facts, okay? What I try to talk to people about is, okay, how are you interpreting these facts? And is that a useful story to you? And are there some other possible stories that you could use to interpret the situation around you that'd be more constructive for you? So when I'm talking about stories, perhaps it is, all right, my value add is about doing. I'm not executing, I'm not getting it done. When I'm sitting in my office and I'm doing some kind of planning, it feels like I'm not working. Mm -hmm. All right, they're telling themselves a story about that. The value add as you move up inside the organization is in fact, thinking more strategically, thinking more holistically, looking at the business from the top rather than from the execution and the doing at the bottom. And so it is reading, listening, having conversations about the differences in perspective and me helping them look at it another, another way. And because it's really sort of a, a not only an, an extending of a current skill that I have, but it sort of is a retuning of myself mentally a little bit. It is. And, and a lot of it, from my perspective, is that early in your career, when you're young and you're coming up, you, you know a certain part of the organization, you know your function and you can see your silo, right? Mm -hmm. It's hard to think strategically about the organization as a whole if that's what you've seen. They've gotta be able to see cross-functionally kind of the interplay right. between the various departments to be able to think at that higher level. So it may be about having them take on a project as a project leader that has cross-organizational implications, being on a team that's doing a cross-organizational project. Um, 
having them play some kind of role in rotation in another department that's really important to them so that they get what that perspective is like. Right. So you've got to broaden your horizons almost to be able to think at the higher level more strategically about the business. Yeah, the other thing is, is working with a mentor, a more senior level person in the organization right. and having them help you think through how you're looking at things, how you're doing things, and, and how it might look different if you were at a higher level in the organization. And it really is, you're focused on the success of the whole company or the whole entity, right. rather than your department, your team, is really the difference in perspective. So in my experience early in my career, I got a chance to do process re-engineering, okay? Mm -hmm. And one of the most valuable perspectives to have is to say, how does my customer experience this organization? So if I were to look at the customer value chain is what it's called, and I know you're familiar with this, you look at how we deliver our products and services to our customers. Where exactly do we touch our customers in the whole process end to end? The customer doesn't care about the departments inside the company. They care right. how they are treated and how they see interacting with the firm. If people will look at it that way, they can see how to optimize the customer experience, which is cross-organizational. It's not right. my department. Not, right, just not just one. And they don't really care about your department. They care about the value that they receive right. as a customer. So, well, that's an interesting because it, it shows that what we're really trying to do with our young people as we, and, and young leaders as we bring them up through an organization is give them a much more holistic view of what mm -hmm. that is, which I guess from my own perspective of being in training for many years is that when I look at a lot of a lot of executives, they seem to have evolved through one of those silos, as you mentioned earlier, one one of those particular functional areas, and they went all the way up to a senior position, and they only still thought about that functional area. They never really made that transition to the the broader view or the broader picture. And when push comes to shove in those executive meetings, they're real still fighting for their own functional background. So if you think about a generalist versus a specialist, people can become specialists and they can get deeper and deeper and deeper in their own knowledge. Okay, fine, that, that works and it's, it's a very useful thing to do if they want to stay within their specialty. If you want to get into the senior leadership kind of position, you need to be more broad than that. You mentioned earlier that you came from an HR background and I know from looking at your uh, resume that you also have a, a degree, a double major actually, in both business administration and in psychology. Mm -hmm. Do you see those two disciplines in your own experience uh, working together quite Absolutely. a bit? Absolutely. The best decision I ever made, I was describing earlier that, that uh, I was wanting to be a psychologist and about midway through my junior year I woke up at two in the morning and went, oh my god, I'm not going to be able to do anything with a bachelor's degree in psychology. So I added business. And um, human resources really is very much a combination of those two things. It is about business. You've got to have a really good business understanding and be able to contribute uh, from an HR perspective. How do we help the business achieve its objectives? But then all day long, you're dealing with people. The most effective leaders are the ones who are really good at people. Get people. They're situational in how they communicate with people. Um, and they, they really do value that piece of the, their responsibility. I'm interested about how you ended up 
focusing on this aspect of your work? Because you mentioned earlier that uh, you have your uh, have a degree in business administration and psychology, and uh, you went on for a, a master's, an MBA in organizational development. You found your way now working more specifically in this niche of uh, young executives who are coming on and working also with experienced executives. How did you get to that place? I'm a real believer in playing to your strengths and playing to your interests. And again, I ran HR functions. I was a VP a couple of times. And although I love the human resources function, the piece I enjoy the most is coaching and developing leaders. So I took a look at what are my skill sets, what can I make money at, what am I most interested in, and all of those crosshairs ended up on executive coaching. So I'm, I'm really living out my dream. I'm doing exactly what I want to be doing. Now I know when you find people who have found their passion, when you see people who have found their passion, you see people who are not really working every day. They're living their life as a part of their work. They love it. Right. My dad had the same uh, advice to me. As we look at advice and, and things that we want to tell young people coming up, our young leaders coming up, looking at your own experience, what would some of those lessons be? So one of the things that I do is I use a personality instrument called the Berkman on the job, and it really shows the paradigm that people look at the world through. Early on in our careers, we tend to think our paradigm's right and everybody else's paradigm's wrong, or we don't understand that people have these other paradigms. And one of the biggest learnings I've had is that it takes all kinds to be successful in an organization. And sometimes the organizations that have friction with each other, the people that we've got friction with, actually are covering our blind spots. They're people that see things differently than we do, mm -hmm. and they are hugely valuable to us if we will listen to them. Okay, that's one thing that's been really important. This piece about stories is the most important thing I've learned in my career. There's something factually that happens. We tell ourselves a story about it, what, it, what it means, and then we act as if our story is true. So let me say that you're like, you're my boss, okay? You come out of your office, you've got a frown on your face. I see that and go, oh my God, he's mad at me. What did I do? I will act for the rest of the day like you are mad at me when I really don't know for a fact why you had the frown on your face. So rather than making people bad, wrong, stupid, manipulative, whatever it is that we tell ourselves, the story we tell ourselves about others, particularly that are different than we are, it is much, much more productive to stop yourself and go, hold on, wait a minute, let me go find out what's really going on rather than going with your story for the rest of the day. Mm -hmm. Or stopping yourself and saying, okay, that is not working for me. That's not a very constructive story. What are some other possible explanations for what just happened that would be better for me? They don't question your own thoughts. And one of the things that's really big right now is something called mindfulness. Mm -hmm. And it's recognizing what you're thinking when you're thinking it and challenging it if it's not useful to you. Now, I also know that you're involved with the Oklahoma Ethics Consortium. Uh, how did you get involved with that, and, uh, and what's your role? Yeah, Shannon Warren is the founder of the Oklahoma Business Ethics Consortium. She's an amazing woman who started the organization many years ago, and they've got something like 700 companies now involved in it. I have been a speaker. I haven't been as actively involved in the, the meetings themselves on a monthly basis. I am involved with the Business Ethics Consortium um, Collegiate Competition. Mm -hmm. So what they do is they have these college teams review cases, and then they, they um, make the points that they think are important, and they defend their positions. And you've got a team of judges who then determine who won the case. It's almost like a debate, but it's about the ethical points and mm -hmm. really seeing the most important things, focusing on the most important things, and then rationalizing why you, you are making the case that you are about the, uh, the situation. I know I've heard in business, when businesses go south and bad things happen and people lose money or people are taken advantage of, uh, you'll hear an executive say, well, I didn't do anything illegal. 
which may be true. And that sort of is where this larger question of ethics comes up. What are some of the issues around ethics that you all try to, the points that you all try to make with young people to be able to sort of catch these things? All right, so some of the warning signs about potential ethics issues inside an organization are when there's a pressure to maintain the numbers at all costs. Okay, mm -hmm. and I actually heard about a company in Denver, I used to work in Denver, and they were trying to make their numbers at the end of a quarter. They were actually shipping bricks rather than computers mm -hmm. to try to make their numbers. That was caught. So allowing anything to go like that to go on, um, even if it's another department, is bad for you, bad for your reputation, bad for the company as a whole. Um, sometimes employees fear losing their jobs or being punished for reporting ethical lapses. And that's a, that's a legitimate concern. It's a legitimate concern. But ultimately, you've got, all you've got is your reputation, right? Mm -hmm. And so for me, in those kinds of situations, it's come down to my career and my reputation in the marketplace versus this one situation that I'm having to address with a current employer or customer. And I choose my reputation. I choose the larger picture, the longer term. And I personally think that that's the right answer, even when it's short, causing short-term pain. Sometimes leaders surround themselves with people who are too attached to their lifestyles and the trappings of success. Right. They don't want to challenge these questionable decisions at the top. And I get it. But again, back to the point I made just a second ago, you could risk your entire reputation, sure. your entire career on that basis if you allow mm -hmm. stuff to go on that you shouldn't. Sometimes you get weak boards that are really out of touch or they're beholden to the leader, to other board members. Mm -hmm. And they won't push back and they won't ask questions and they, they won't just do what be they quiet. need to do. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Cultures that allow conflicts of interest, for example, nepotism, things like that inside right. a company. You're setting yourselves up for a bad situation if you allow things that are questionable to go on inside your company and in your culture. Innovative cultures sometimes believe that the universal standards are beneath them. We're better than that. We're the mm -hmm. best. And they can get arrogant about themselves relative mm -hmm. to others. And that's a risky position to be in. Right. Because I guess they give themselves more permission to do things that might be a little bit more questionable. You bet. You bet. And then sometimes you get these companies that, that do a lot of social service activities, right? They're, they're great in the community. They, they are some sense that their goodness in one area makes up for bad behavior in other areas. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And it really doesn't. It really doesn't. Yeah. So those, yeah. those are warning signs. People need to watch out. If they've got a culture like that, people need to be thinking about what's going on. And the keys to having an ethical culture are ethical leadership, first of all. They've got to um, walk the talk. People know it if you're mm -hmm. saying it, but not really believing it, or the leaders aren't acting according to it. So ha being le having ethical leaders at the top and holding each other accountable and creating a culture of accountability and um, ethical behavior. Um, the supervisors need to reinforce that throughout the organization. These are our expectations around here. And some of the, the, the good companies that I've worked for have had hotlines and things like that as a way to enable employees to report things that are going on that shouldn't be going on to protect their safety and confidentiality, right? So that pe people feel at risk when they do this kind of mm -hmm. thing. And yet you find a way to make sure that it bubbles to the top and that it gets addressed, Right, I think is really important. Um, and it is about the culture of the company, creating this eth ethical culture and on all fronts. So whether you've got ethics on performance appraisals, whether you consider ethics when you're giving people promotions, when you consider ethics when you're giving people um, increases in their compensation, that all of your uh, your company is aligned about ethics. Right. Yeah, everyone knows that the way we act around here and the way we don't act around here, mm. uh, that, uh, if that's absolutely clear, mm -hmm. 
and there's no equivocation about that. You're more likely to have the, the culture that, you know, the ethical culture that, uh, that would be productive. And, and of course, that all comes from the top too, doesn't it? It does. It absolutely does. And the leaders can say the words, but unless they're acting that way, everybody and their brother knows it. As you were talking about these competencies that are sort of set in place with a company, uh, as they're looking for the kinds of skill sets that, that they want to develop in their own leadership, do you see, are any of those competencies shifting over time? For example, I would assume 30 years ago, it was very much on, on technical knowledge, but it seems like over time we've drifted more toward more of a people-centric kind of emphasis. Yeah, it's, it, the people-centric piece is a really, really good point. Okay, so when I'm brought in, and sometimes I am brought in, to deal with somebody that's very, very skilled technically, they're critically important to the success of the business strategically. They find them very valuable, but they're breaking glass all around them with people. Mm -hmm. And the thing that will get in the way of them getting to the top, they may have all the technical skills in the world, if they can't deal with people, that's a, a no-go kind of decision about them being a leader. So it is critical that people be good with folks, mm -hmm. with, with people. Um, second thing that I know of that um, companies are starting to ask for, it's one of the top three, is critical thinking skills. Mm -hmm. So we're bombarded with information all over the place nowadays, right? On the internet, all kinds of articles, there's podcasts, there's every kind of um, communication you can imagine. And having the ability to sift through what we're reading, what we're seeing, what we're hearing, and ask the critical questions to get to good solid decisions is something that's perceived to be really missing. So I would say that that's a differentiator. If people wanna be really good and considered a good future leader, building that capability is a big one. One last question. Receptivity of, uh, of young people or of the people that you're, you're working with on receiving information that they might, they might have their blind spot. They didn't know or didn't perceive that they had a deficiency or were lacking in a certain area, and all of a sudden that's presented to them. How do they react to that? Is that, uh, they kind of like, oh, that's not me. I mean, or like, so wow, I never knew that. Both. That's, uh, <laughs> Both. So some people get very, very defensive and some people are glad to understand it. I mean, there's something called the Jahari window that says that all of us know what's going on inside ourselves, but we have our intention in our head when we think about how, how other people see us. So in reality, um, we, have, we, we understand where we're coming from inside. Other people don't, right? And so um, there's this blind spot that we all have about our perceptions by others. And it's just being aware of that and being okay with that and learning from the process. Mm -hmm. So that's part of the reason why I use a 360 is because it really gives them feedback into themselves. And as an executive coach, my job is to be their partner. So one of the things I really work to let them know is I'm 150% on board with you being successful. That's my job. I'm only successful if you're successful. And so I talk to them about in their lifetimes when they've had someone give them really difficult feedback that they have not gotten defensive about, that they've really heard it, it is from people that think they've got their best interests at heart, that are really looking out for them. And people mm -hmm. can hear it when it's positioned that way. And so sure. my job is to help them get out of their own way and help them be successful. Sometimes we're our own worst enemy too, aren't we? We <laughs> so are. We absolutely <laughs> we get are. We get out of our own way and, uh, and, and reach toward the success that we're certainly capable of. 
Well, again, thank you so much for spending some time with me to explain a little bit about your work and your insights, uh, working with young people and executives to make uh, more of what I would call empowering workplaces where uh, people really do get to do the kind of work they're passionate about and be respected for it and appreciated for it and, and uh, strive toward accomplishing things that are meaningful, not only for themselves, but also for their organizations and their focus and so forth. Donna Miller coaches executives and leaders one-on-one -on -one in all types of organizations to help them improve their leadership skills and leadership abilities. Thank you so much for uh, taking time with me to do this. And the name of your, your business name is Executive Resources. Executive is that Resource Center. Thanks for listening and don't miss out on any future episodes of The Spirit of Leading. You can subscribe to my blog at empoweredtolead.com and you'll get notifications in your email when new podcasts are available. You can also listen and subscribe on iTunes, iTunes Podcasts, and on Stitcher. So I encourage you to go forth in the spirit of leading, to live each and every day by encouraging the spirit, enlivening the heart, enlightening the mind, and enlarging the expectations of living in yourself and in others. I'm Garland McWaters, and in the spirit of leading, live each and every day empowered.